uh, that attends Christ Church that has a five-year-old daughter with disabilities. And after meeting with the family, we thought it would be great for her to have a buddy that could help her participate fully in Christ Church Kids. Then I was able to meet with a man who expressed interest in serving in disability ministry. And after experiencing his calm demeanor and his passion for working with kids with disabilities, I was hoping that they would be a great fit. So after being together for the first time on a Sunday, mom and dad came to pick her up and they said that for the first time in five years they were able to go to church together as husband and wife. That is just one of the amazing things about disability ministry that not only can we serve kids with disabilities but we can allow parents to attend worship together knowing their children are welcome, known, and loved. I have a friend that I met at the food pantry in the spring and she came needing some help with food and clothing. She returned the next month and we got to talking a little bit about her church home and so I had a chance to invite her to Christ Church. And a few weeks later, she came and she learned about some different opportunities to get involved and meet new people in our congregation and also have the chance to serve. It's been so exciting to see how God's been working in this young woman's life to provide her physical needs through the food pantry and then to see her take the next step on her faith journey here at Christ Church. I met Angelica on uh, Women of Hope on a Tuesday morning. She was looking for a way to serve in the tech world, and she started volunteering with us on a regular basis on Sundays. She showed a lot of interest to learn more, and she is now training other volunteers alongside. God is just working in amazing ways. I met Cornelius at a meeting about global outreach teams going to the Dominican Republic this past year. Cornelia shared with me that there were a number of barriers to him going to the Dominican Republic, but Cornelius was faithful to God's call. And he joined the team and was just a really remarkable presence. He became a really strong male role model for some of the, the children we were serving with and helped guide the team. But God is continuing to work in Cornelius' life. Cornelius is going to be helping to lead a team in the coming year. He's hoping to return to the Dominican Republic with his son. And God continues to work in and through Cornelius to touch lives. My friend Emily came to the MOPS community expecting friendship with other moms in a similar season of life. And what Emily didn't anticipate were the hardships that were gonna to come to her and her family. And that the MOPS community would be a group of women who would rally around her family and provide moral support and prayer and even things like meals on a daily basis as she walked through a miscarriage and a job loss for her husband. And so because Emily experienced the love of God through that MOPS community, she continues to faithfully serve there today to be that lift for other moms. So Tom started attending our early morning men's group about seven years ago. And recently I've been noticing some distinct changes in his life and the questions he's asking. And I asked him about those changes lately. And then he went on to share this beautiful story of how in this group he discovered a place where he could bring his doubts, his fears, and his questions, and they were accepted. And over the course of the years, he discovered what it means to pray truly to a God who listens even to those same doubts, fears, and questions. At our middle school camp, Colin, a seventh grade boy, experienced the transformative love of God. And on our last cabin time, 
Colin articulated that he was feeling as if he was being transformed by God. Three weeks later, he joined our Nashville Middle School Mission Trip team, and it was Colin who was leading others the whole week to serve more faithfully. Colin decided that he wanted this service to be a regular part of his life, and so he committed to weekly serving with our first and second graders in our children's ministry on Sunday mornings. He wanted other people to be brought into the same transformational love that he experienced starting with camp. There's a college student, London, who has been attending here since middle school and has been formed in her faith through the ministry here. And just before she went to college this summer, she made the decision to get baptized as an affirmation of what God is doing in her life. She made her faith her own before moving into the next season of her life. I saw a woman crying one Sunday after she received communion because when she was sitting in worship, she wasn't sure if she could go forward to receive God's grace because some of the things that had happened in her life, but she chose to anyway. And through the tears, she just told me she experienced God's grace in such a powerful way, and she's continued to come back week after week and be part of what God is doing here. I have a friend who has been a part of church and faith communities for his entire life and unfortunately recently had a, a close family member to him pass in an unexpected and tragic way and I remember just sitting in my office with him the other day as tears rolled down his cheeks and he talked about how he's been part of leading churches and being a part of church communities for so long and yet he has never in his entire life felt the loving arms of God wrap around him in the way that he has in this specific community, in this specific time of his life, and just how immensely grateful he was to be a part of Christ Church in this community. And that's just one of the stories, just one of the stories. And that's just one of the stories. Just one of the stories. And that's just one of the stories. And that's just one of the stories of God working through the people. Well, good evening. Merry Christmas, everyone. We are so glad that you are here. Before we get started with our worship service tonight, we just want to acknowledge that we have a lot of family members that are joining us tonight. And so if you see any open seats in the middle of your row, we'd love for you. I know you're cozy in the chairs that you just found. You probably threw some elbows to stake those chairs out. But if you could stand up and move to the center of the seating sections as best you can to open up seats on the outside towards the aisles, that would be an immense help for all of our folks that are coming in um, and finding their way in as we begin the service. But we are so excited to be here, and um, we pray that today would be a meaningful celebration of the birth of Christ together tonight. Mighty God, that's just the star. 
Christmas, church. Those words from scripture that we just heard remind us who we worship today. Emmanuel, God with us. We are thrilled to be here with you tonight to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And we're going to ask you to rise and praise God with us in song. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing.
Oh. 
silent stars go by yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight oh holy child of team. Friends, before you have a seat, we just want to say again, Merry Christmas. We are so grateful to be joined in celebrating the birth of Christ together with all of you here in the room with us, all of you joining us online. It finally is starting to feel like Christmas. Yesterday, I tried to go to Target two days before Christmas, and it didn't feel Christmassy, believe it or not. People didn't feel very Christmassy yesterday at Target, but now it does, and I'm grateful to be here with you all. 
Thanks, Aaron. Good evening, everybody. My name is Tracy Bianchi. I serve as one of our pastors here. We're thrilled to have you. And um, I did one better than Aaron yesterday. I was at Jewel twice yesterday. And so the Jewel parking lot is not filled with Christmas cheer, but we are filled with cheer here. So we are thrilled that you're here. Um, we would love it if you would turn and greet a neighbor. But as you do, again, if you have any seats next to you, there's actually one seat next to Dan Meyer over there. there two seats. There's two seats. There's Dan Meyer. There's always seats by Dan Meyer. So uh, there are some seats in the front row. If you're still looking for seats, turn and greet a neighbor and then go ahead and have a seat. Each week during Advent season, we lit candles together. These candles represent the hope, peace, joy, and love that God brings to us. Tonight, we light the last candle that is called the Christ candle. The weight of Advent is nearly over. Jesus Christ is born. The Papa Isaiah proclaimed there would come a time when God's life and hope would burst into the darkness. The people walking in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. John declared that this great light is Christ, the Word made flesh. This great light lives among us. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Tonight, we celebrate the light of Emmanuel, which means God with us. With these candles come great joy and celebration because Christ is born in Bethlehem. God's Son has come into the world to be our Savior, and he will come again in glory. As we light this candle, we rejoice in the birth of Jesus. May we worship him, welcome him, and make room for him in our hearts and lives. May our lives be changed by him, and may his glory be known. Hey! And his glory be made clear among us and forever more. Oh, come, let us adore him. Amen. He did not wait. He did not wait till the world was ready, till men and nations were at peace. He came when the heavens were unsteady and prisoners cried out for release. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our 
Friends, our scripture reading from tonight is excerpts from Matthew and Luke. Listen now to the word of the Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went there to register with Mary, and while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks to, God. be to God. When my sister and I were young, several days a week, sometimes every day of the week, we would play a hide-and-go-seek game with my dad right as he got home from work. My mom was in on it. She would catch a glimpse of my dad's car pulling in the driveway, and she would shout to my sister and I, he's here, he's here, he's home. And my sister and I would scurry off into our little hiding places. Of course, my dad knew what we were up to, but he would still walk in the back door and ask my mom loudly, where are the kids? As if this whole thing hadn't just played itself out the night before. Hide and seek is great for the first few minutes. When you think you've maybe landed the very best hiding spot ever. But after that thrill wears off, if you've really found a good spot, you start to wonder if you've been forgotten. I remember sitting often in the very dark corner of the house, just waiting to be found, listening to the shrieks and the giggles of my sister if my dad found her first. And the older we got, the harder it was to find us, the deeper we would sink, perhaps, into the shadows of the house. And if we hid too long, we would start to call out, find me, dad, find me. And my dad always 
always found us. Kind of sounds a little bit like my house. We have a two and a half year old at home. Any other families with toddlers in the house? Yeah, we see them, we hear them. <laughs> um, one of her favorite things to do in the entire world is to take our dog on a walk with me. And so the other night we were on what Eloise calls a night walk, which here in wintertime in Chicagoland is anything after 4.15 p.m. So we're walking down the block, it's dark out, pitch black, and Eloise is just holding the dog leash and she's looking up into the night sky, kind of transfixed by some of the residual snow flurries that were glistening in the street light and I'm walking alongside of her, waiting for her to say the line. Because you see, every single time we take our dog on a walk together, there's a point where she looks right up at me and she says, Dad! And she's two and a half, but she only calls me Dad. She doesn't call me Dada because she's also 17 at the same time. We're trying to figure it all out. Um, but she says, Dad, I want to chase you. And so she's taught me not to tell her no, and so I go running down the block and she takes after me. That's her cue. When I start going, she starts chasing. Her little feet are moving as quickly as they possibly can. The leash is flapping around in her hand as she runs and the dog is like confused but also excited, trying to figure everything out. And every single time, without fail, as soon as I start to run, a look of pure joy comes across her face as she begins to run after me. We love the adrenaline rush of a good chase, right? It's why so many of our movies today involve some sort of chase scene, whether Mission Impossible or James Bond or Infinity Stones being chased across the Marvel Universe. Romantic comedies or our dramas hold stories of chasing as well, chasing after another heart, pursuing freedom, pursuing victory. And the Christmas movies that most of us have probably watched this season all feature a chase of some sort. Clark W. Griswold, as we know, is in pursuit of the good old-fashioned family Christmas. George Bailey is chasing some kind of relief and purpose in his wonderful life. And Charlie Brown just about breaks our hearts every year in pursuit of the true meaning of Christmas. And we love these movies because they are heartwarming and they are tradition, but we also love them because in them we find stories that represent the deep longings and desires that we all share. We long for things that we do not yet have. We long to be seen, to be safe, to be loved, to be at peace. We chase relationships, friendships, a way to make meaning out of this life. And so in our Christmas narrative for tonight, we find ourselves immersed in an ancient story of longing and chasing. It took place thousands of years ago in a culture completely different than the one in which we find ourselves today. It was filled with awe, it was filled with mystery, and yet at the same time, there's something familiar about it. Every person we meet in the story along the way is, is longing for something in their lives. They were chasing then in the same way that we chase today. Take Joseph, for example. He had in mind to leave Mary quietly, the scriptures say. His fiance is pregnant and they're not yet married. In that time, this is the end of their status and influence if he goes through with the marriage. But he can start over. He is chasing comfort, he's chasing security, he's chasing a good reputation, a life without any more drama and turmoil. And on top of all of that, the only way Mary's status could be restored is if he's out of the picture, and so he resolves to divorce her quietly. 
Meanwhile, Mary, understandably, is in pursuit of some clarity and comfort of her own. When the angel visits her to tell her that she is going to carry the God of the universe, she would like some answers. How can this be, she asks. How exactly is this going to play out? What is going to happen to me? And later we're told she actually rushes off to her cousin Elizabeth's house to find some comfort and friendship with her family. We've got King Herod. He starts to hear about this new young king and he starts to feel threatened. You see, in his reign, he is seeking absolute power, absolute control. He wants his own authority and his rule to be the absolute final say. There will be no threat to his power that he will entertain, even for a moment. And so what does he do? He sets forward on a plan to extinguish the life of this new young king before he even has legs enough to run. And God's people at that time are longing for the Messiah that their tradition promised. They waited for a king who would bring justice and free them from the oppression that they suffered under Roman rule. As a nation, they chased power, authority, autonomy, security, a leader who ruled like they wanted that leader to rule. And like the characters in this narrative, we are also all chasing something, peace, wisdom, comfort, companionship. These desires are not wrong. We're born into a fractured world. We exist daily in spaces filled with anger and angst. And even when we come close to getting what we think we want, somehow it looks less shiny and appealing close up. So we turn our affection to something new, chasing whatever is in front of us, whatever we think will give us the fulfillment and the hope and set our little world right. So what do we do with this longing that we're feeling, this longing that is so ever-present in the human experience? How can Mary and Joseph's longing, how can the longing of King Herod and his experience, or how can the whole Christmas narrative um, in in its entirety give us today any sense of comfort or direction as we chase forward, navigating life one step at a time? Well, tonight we invite you to wonder with us about your own longings this season. And as we do, may we open ourselves to how it is that God makes himself known to us on this sacred night. He did not wait for the perfect time. He came when the need was deep and great. In joy he came to a tarnished world of sin and doubt, to a world like ours of anguished shame. He came, and his light would not go out. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins, release us. Israel's strength. 
anybody here or tuning in online is anything like me. Well, sometimes when I hear those words that Rochelle just sang for us, I wonder what it really means when it says, let us find our rest in thee. What happens when that long-expected Jesus finally comes? What does it mean to find our strength, our hope, our consolation, our rest in God? You see, God is forever a mystery. No human being, believe it or not, not even Tracy, has ever sorted out the intricacies of God, and no one ever will. And God coming to earth in an unexpected form through unbelievable means only makes the story even more complicated and mysterious. Scripture tells us that the whole earth is filled with the glory of God, that he is ever present and that he is always with us. But where is he really? If all of that is true, why does it feel so hard for me to find him sometimes? If God came to save us, why does it feel like I have to do that on my own. Why is there still war and hunger and cancer and loneliness? Why are the levels of anxiety and depression among our young people higher than they ever have been before? Are we looking for God in the wrong place? Is he hiding from us? Is he playing some sort of game with us? I think if we're honest, sometimes we might confess that it does feel like God is playing perhaps a game with us. God can feel so hard to find because we're not often chasing the true God. We're chasing an idea about God that was never actually God to begin with. The ancient Israelites struggled to believe that Jesus was the Messiah because he did not look or act or talk or think like they wanted him to act. They wanted a God who would overthrow the Roman government and get them out of the hole that they were in. They wanted a God with authority and power who would relieve them of their struggle. What they got instead was an infant who needed everything. Birthed to impoverished teenage parents, Jesus was born in, over, in an overlooked town at the corner of the world beyond notice of anyone with influence or power. This God incarnate later went on to attract a scrappy tribe of misfits and friends. He told wild and disruptive stories that upset almost everybody in power. He disagreed with the long-held beliefs on who God was. He died in the prime of his life at the hands of the Roman government. This baby born in a manger was not the kind of God they were chasing. He was not the God that they wanted. And we, all of us here today, we are not that different. We want a God, understandably, who will fix our problems, who makes us feel good, a God to whom we can fire off a rocket prayer for an A on the final or a good test result from the doctor. We want a God who sees the world the same way that we do. We want a God that agrees with our social and political ideologies, one that we can tame and understand, a God who fills our desires and does not wiggle off the manger in our nativity set. This domesticated idea of God whose sole interest is to make us feel happy and grant our wishes is not the God of the Bible. It's not the God of Christmas. That God does not deliver. We are always disappointed in that final product. And again, of course we want the God who makes all the hard things vanish and grants our every wish. But we shake our fists then at heaven when that God does not deliver. 
and we still, it turns out, don't have then what we wanted. So the chase continues, and the chasing and the desiring continues. Yeah, most of us would likely agree that Neil Armstrong accomplished almost everything he possibly could in his life. He chased the moon, and he caught it. He dedicated his entire life to flight. By age 16, he had already obtained his pilot's license and he was flying airplanes. He earned an aeronautical engineering degree from one of the best engineering schools in the world. He joined the Navy and eventually, as we all know, he became the very first person to step foot on the surface of the moon. And eventually, we find out as we look through the, the list of his accomplishments, we wonder, could there be anything more that he wanted? What more could there possibly be? And yet if we read back over the stories of his life and some of the moments that gave him pause, we discover that he never fully caught what it is that he was chasing. If you know his story, you know that even the moon was not enough for him. After that, he, he later signed up for an Antarctic expedition. And so even after exploring the far edges of this world and launching himself off towards another one, he mused that he wished he had been born in a different era, one filled with even more adventure. All in all, Armstrong said, for someone who is immersed in, fascinated by, and dedicated to flight, I was disappointed by the wrinkle in history that had brought me along one generation late. He says, I had missed all the great times and all the adventures in flight. You see, the moon wasn't even enough. This story of Neil Armstrong exhausts me. <laughs> I mean, most of us are exhausted. Uh, we don't work for NASA. We haven't been to the moon or dabbled in Antarctic adventures. Our everyday lives exhaust us. But we still chase these ideas about God even if we don't call it God, just like Neil Armstrong was, we are still chasing to feel whole, to feel complete. We are still trying to chase an end to darkness. We are still longing for God to shape our lives in ways that we cannot. We long for a God that we have all but extinguished. And like the people at the time of Jesus, we find ourselves fumbling in the dark through the darkness of life and longing for light to break in. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah says it this way, justice is far from us and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. See, the story of Christmas takes place at this stumbling moment in the dark. It is, in fact, part of why so many of the figures from the Christmas narrative sort their experience out with God under the blanket of night. From the shepherds in the fields to the magi following the star, we fumble around in the dark looking for God now as people did back then, and we are just as surprised by the light when it dawns on us as they were back then as well. The prophet Isaiah says this as well. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, for to us a child is born. 
to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He came to a world which did not mesh to heal its tangles, shield its scorn. In the mystery of the Word made flesh, the maker of the stars was born. We cannot wait till the world is sane to raise our songs with joyful voice, for to share our grief, to touch our pain, he came with love. Rejoice, rejoice. God kind of sneaks up on everyone in the Christmas narrative. No one sees God coming. There is not a moment of intense focus when everyone in the story magically gets together to conjure up God. As far as the characters in the Christmas narrative go, it is decidedly not their longing and chasing that makes it happen at that exact moment. God breaks uninvited into the story. The shepherds, for example, they're out tending their flocks in the dark of night, minding their own business, doing this thing that they always do. There is nothing to indicate that this is going to be a night that changes the course of human history. And then bam, the skies open up, light spills down, and an angel of the Lord begins to speak. Likewise, the Magi are doing what they always do as well. Eyes to the sky, they're charting the skies, they're mapping all of the stars. They have no sense or expectation that a star is about to rise in the east until suddenly a bright light that doesn't fit into any of their calculations begins to hover on the horizon, just daring them to follow it. Joseph, meanwhile, as we know, is trying to sort himself out. He gives up on the heartache of Mary, and he arrives at the decision to leave her. He's young, he is heartbroken, he is wondering how to start over and figure out his plan B. So he goes to bed, and he expects to sleep uninterrupted through the night. But God interrupts his sleep and redirects his plan. And there's Mary herself. How do we make sense of her? As best as history can tell, she's not one to really ask for anything flashy or, or special for herself, let alone the opportunity to carry, to birth, and be the mother for God himself. And yet suddenly, here God appears, telling her that indeed this is to be her future. 
In the Gospel of John, we find that this is actually God's pattern. From the very beginning, God appeared into the dark and formless void where in existence existed, God appeared light, appeared life, appeared. Scripture says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This was the beginning of God's pursuit of us. The word, scripture says, became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. God came down to earth. God who existed in eternity entered time. And as if in some cosmic game of hide and seek, the incarnation is that moment when God finally says, enough. Stop trying to find me. Stop wreaking havoc on the world as you pursue things. Stop chasing after me. I am right here on a quiet night in a sleepy town in the arms of refugee parents, outside in a barn, God finds us. God steps smack into the middle of our chase scene. He saw we were getting nowhere. And in fact, we kept pushing ourselves deeper in the shadows. So he comes to us. Do you mind if we circle back to that snowy night walk that I was on with my daughter and our dog? We left that story with me running down our block in the night with a joyful toddler in hot pursuit, but I haven't yet told you the best part of the story. We haven't gotten to my favorite part of every single walk. You see, after a little bit of her chasing me, I begin to slow down my pace and and let her catch up to me, and of course she comes crashing into my legs, gives me a big hug, and says, I got you. And then the next words out of her mouth, that afternoon were true to her script as well. Now you chase me, Dad and she takes off running down the sidewalk. But this time, I notice that because she's out ahead, she's running a little bit more cautiously. She's trying to be more careful in finding her footing in the dark as she plods ahead, and I can almost picture her two-year-old mind using all of its energy to focus on just putting one foot in front of the other to try to keep going through that exhausting pace of running through the night, and just when she looks like she's gonna give up, just when it looks like she's gonna stop, her focus is interrupted because I have caught up with her, and I have scooped her up into my arms and held her close to my chest, and I say, I I got you, and she breaks out into the most infectious and joyful and relief-filled laughter, and her body calms in her arms as I now carry her into the night. Author Ken Geyer writes, while we have been pursuing God, he has been rushing toward us with reckless love arms flung wide to hug us home. As Aaron and I uh, spent time preparing to preach together tonight, um, he actually wrote in all caps in our notes, he says, this will be the moment where Tracy lands the plane like Neil Armstrong. (laughs) So um, our cue to sum it up. Diana Butler Bass writes this about the mystery of this night. Beyond our wildest imaginings, the ever-creating love of the cosmos made its way into our small, hurting world living and dying with us, for us, 
and with us and promises never, never, never to leave us alone. This is the ultimate mystery. This is Christmas. Commercialism did not conjure this up. This is an magical, majestic night because the holiness of God coming to human life happened on this night. The Bible uses the word Emmanuel to define God with us. God comes down from heaven and stays with us. Jesus' birth does not make everything perfect. I wish it did. As we know all too well, pain and grief and loss are still part of our human existence. The incarnation does not promise to fix it all this side of heaven. Instead, it promises that God is with us now. He is walking with us. He is communing with us. He is loving us. We don't have to chase God anymore. Will Williman was once asked if he could sum the gospel up in seven words, and this is what he said. God refuses to be God without us. So if God is with all of us, then we are with God and we are also with one another. Our personal longings are joined with those of the people sitting next to us. They are joined with those of the people in our communities. They are joined with those of people all across the globe and all throughout human history. And so together tonight, we have the chance to continue to live into the posture of being scooped up by the God of the universe or we have the opportunity to maybe to lean into that for the very first time. But regardless, we don't do it alone. We do it together. Because the message of Christmas is for each and every single one of us, and it's for all of us together. And so now I would love to invite us to take this moment to just stand with one another as we join our voices one more time in these words of longing after our Savior.
The community of people that is Christ Church is a fellowship of about 6,000 amazing individual people lodged in families, walking through life on their own, serving in various workplaces, going to school. On an average weekend, about 3,000 of them find their way into the fellowship's ministry and life. And what unites this diverse group of people is that at some point along the journey of life, maybe they were in a a dark place, a deep, dark place. The light suddenly broke in. The closet door opened. They realized they weren't alone. Or they found themselves going along in life, heart racing, and suddenly the arms of God reached around them and lifted them up and gave them courage for the future. Everybody that's experienced the light, the lift of God, is changed by that experience. Life doesn't get perfect, as Tracy said. It's not, it doesn't remove all the challenge and the questions. But what it does is give us a passion now to help other people experience that light and that lift. As we take up our Christmas offering tonight, I'm just going to invite you to join us in that effort. We've made a commitment as a church family a year ago now, almost a year ago now, to try and lift 10,000 people toward their God-given potential over these next two years. And we're about halfway through that journey, and we're seeing lives changed. If you saw the video at the very start, you got some sense of how people of all ages are experiencing the lifting grace of God. It doesn't happen without allowing ourselves to be his hands, to be his light bearers in the world. So whether you choose to take advantage of the places that get passed or to use the uh, information you see online, to give online, we just thank you so much for being Christ Church and for continuing this work of grace that gives glory to the light of the world. Oh, come, oh, come, Amen. 
pray with me. Light of the world, we give you glory. We give you our applause. We give you our praise. We give you our celebration tonight. God, we are praying for miracles. You know our hearts. You know our situations. You know the miracles that each and every one of us is praying for. Lord, you see our world. You see the ways that we are just grappling in the darkness. You hold it all in your hands, Lord. The scriptures say that the earth, all of creation, is groaning in its longing for you. And so, God, as we pray for you to work the miracles, we also pray that you would give us your spirit in a way that invites us to be a part of the miracle and the kingdom that you are bringing in into this world, even now. And, Lord, may we be pointed towards that hope in our lives in a way that stuns us when we finally behold our King face to face with you 
and how we're showered with the grace and the love and the mercy of your life. Lord, we are your people. Work in us to bring about your kingdom. In Jesus' name, together we pray. Amen. Friends, we invite you to stand together for our final song. And most of you wait a year to sing this every Christmas Eve, Silent Night. And it's a bit of a tradition here at Christ Church. Feel free to find your family if they're on the other side of the room because you couldn't find a seat together. Give a handshake of friendship, a hug to someone you came with, even a perfect stranger. Tell them peace and love and all the good things.
I wish you all could hear the little voices from the Roberts family behind me as they were belting out, we give you all the glory. That is the meaning of Christmas. It is here for all of us. The light has dawned and we now are invited to live into that amazing experience with God. Friends, we are here gathered in this room. We are here gathered online. We are here gathered 100 deep in the garden plaza as well. So we are just so grateful that you joined with us this, this um, Sunday night to celebrate the birth of Christ. And we would love to invite you to come back next week or whenever your, your winter vacations are over. We're gonna be here. We, we do this every week. We might not always celebrate Christmas every single week, but we do celebrate and point ourselves to the hope that Christmas brings about. Next week specifically, um, we are going to be closing out our Advent series called Magical by finalizing um, the story of the Magi and what we can learn from them in our day and age. In the first two weeks of January, we'd love to invite you to a, a two-part series that we're entitling How to Raise Humans in a Complex World. So for all of you, um, whether families are on the forefront of your mind and raising families are in the forefront of your mind or they are not, it's going to be a really um, impactful and powerful service. Lots of um, great biblical wisdom and tidbits um, from two guest speakers and a couple workshops that are going to be paired with the normal worship services. And so we are just really, really excited and grateful to invite you back um, for the coming weeks ahead. Also, Aaron and I have a tap dance that we've been rehearsing. You won't so want to miss the dance. We will, we will do that in the week. No, we won't. So. Friends, receive now this benediction. May all your strivings and longings be met this night. May your heart find rest and know it is home. May you know that Emmanuel, God with us, is God with you. And may you find yourself scooped up forever in the arms of our Savior on this sacred night and until we meet again. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.